right, we're here with uh, another episode of Tales from the Crew, this time with my good friend, Stephen Shea. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and we're excited to have you on the show. And I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to get started right away, we've worked together on uh, a few projects, but mm -hmm. uh, we've known each other, I guess... Through certain proximity, through, yeah, our whole lives. <laughs> um, yeah, same hometowns, huh? Yeah, same hometown of uh, in New Iberia, Louisiana. Yep. Um, My mother actually worked at your parents' department store when she was younger and lived there. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, small and world. Small world, yeah. We meet out in LA and they keep crossing over. Yep. Um, and I, we both have a, a huge love for horror. Definitely. And uh, you're. Definitely someone that um, you know. I hope to work with at some point, and mm -hmm. I'm following your career, and uh, so glad you were able to make it in today. And yeah. would love to hear you know some of your experiences, not only as uh, a filmmaker, but some of the jobs you've taken in the meantime between projects or um, just you know projects you've been involved with mm -hmm. uh, from a still as a still photographer or. Mm -hmm. Uh, helping friends out, getting things going, or just, you know, some of the decisions you had to make on stuff that you were directing. Sure. So. Yeah, I've definitely, uh, I started out in film when I was 16. I uh, grew up, I was born in Louisiana, like we said, and then grew up in the Florida Keys and uh, kind of found a love for it around 16 and then got got into doing live television, uh, shooting, running camera for live television, and then uh, commercial switching and things like that, and then also did projection in a movie theater and ran a blockbuster video. Not to age myself too much, but <laughs> back in the good old days. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, started out uh, writing and directing. Did my first feature at 23. Uh, couldn't get into film school. I tried to get into film school and, and couldn't get in, so I spent the rest of my college fund on my first feature, <laughs> which which got a full distribution deal before my friends even graduated. Wow. College. So that, that kind of helped kickstart some things. What was that film? It's called The Night Owl. Okay. Um, it's not that great. It's not... <laughs> it's, you know, we, we've developed since then. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I did The Night Owl, and then I did another feature after that that we actually shot in Louisiana called Hoodoo for Voodoo. Well, that's right. I remember when it, it came out, my dad emailed me the newspaper article. <laughs> Yep. Um, I was really excited about it. It was a big deal. Yeah, we shot it around uh, New Iberia and St. Martinville, uh -huh. and then some stuff in New Orleans. And uh, Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like a, a ragtag team of friends that went out and shot. I think there was like 20-something locations. We had 300 extras at one point. Wow. Shot in between there and in Florida. And Yeah, it came out on DVD in 2008. Uh -huh. um, and uh, had, a, had some cool horror cameos in there, like Linnea Quigley and Tiffany Sheppis. Oh, cool. Stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, you know, do that and then moved out to Los Angeles uh, in 2015. Right? What year is it now? 2016, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it fly, time, time flies out here. Who knew? Yeah. It goes by so fast. I know. Um, but, yeah, I did, I did a lot of producing for hire in Florida as well. Uh, I did writing, directing, and then a lot of producing for hire. Produced nine features in Florida mm. uh, that I was a producer on. And um, and then did a lot of set photography. Like photography, I kind of fell in love with later on, just because it's an it's an easier and cheaper method of, of storytelling. Yeah. You know, instead of telling a story twenty four pictures a second, you tell it in one. Right. So it's uh, 
it's a great tool and a, and, a, and a great resource, I think. And so I kind of started getting more. It kind of goes hand in hand with directing, I'd imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then I ended up discovering set photography, which is great because you basically make your own movie, while everybody else does all the work for you. You know, you just show up and start taking frames. It's and... all lit, ready to go. Cast yep. is ready. What do you? What have you learned uh, as a set photographer? working with other directors or being on another director's set and seeing how they do things, has that influenced you at all as a filmmaker? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's great. I've, I've shot on probably around 45 sets now, I think, photography. And um, you always learn something new. Like you get to see how, how directors work with their actors. You get to see how actors work with their directors. You can see how producers, you know, the struggles that the producer has to go through, the struggles the director has to go through. And you're kind of always behind the scenes watching everyone mm -hmm. and then trying to sneak in over that DP's shoulder to try to get some usable frames for them to sell the movie with, you know, or to make posters out of and stuff. And then you also, I also do gallery shots for the posters. So on a lot of sets, I'll bring a studio or I'll shoot in a studio and I get to work one-on-one -on -one with the actors too. So mm -hmm. I've gotten to do stills with Academy Award winning actors and, you know, you know, some of my favorite actors from big TV shows and stuff, big actors and stuff. So it's always nice to because then you get to work with them one on one too. Yeah. Even though you're not directing the movie, you're still directing them on camera for yeah. photography. Yeah. Which is a great experience, especially working with Oscar winning actors. Oh yeah. And yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, all kinds of really, really interesting experiences doing that, and it's also a lot less pressure <laughs> doing <laughs> photography. Right. I guess you know you're not really that connected with the the production crew that all has to sort of work hand in hand to right. get something together. You're sort of outside observing that. So, you know, all hell can be yep. breaking loose and you may go to the craft table and have a tea. Well, and <laughs> most of the time I don't even know what's going on because they don't send me a script or they don't tell me, like I'll try to find out as much information yeah. as I can about the movie. Uh -huh. So if it's, a, if it's a horror movie, you would shoot things a little differently than if you're shooting like a lifetime drama. And so you want to kind of know a little bit about what's going on, but... There's been some interesting stories doing that, too, because, you know, not all actors like their photo taken, come to find out. Right. <laughs> so, there was one show that I was on that had a very, uh, very famous television actress and movie actress, and she did not want her photo taken. Like, she had it, I guess, had it in her contract that she was not allowed to be photographed on set. And so they booked me for, like, seven days on this movie, and every day I'd come in, and she would look at me, and I would hide... And I would not do anything. I would just have to sit there because she was number one. She was the lead actress. Yeah. And I couldn't do anything. Like, I couldn't shoot any scenes that she was in because she would always throw a fit. Um, which is funny. They never even made I think a poster for that movie and like released like stuff on it. Oh but man, it, it that was, sucks. It was weird. It was just very strange because I would think like actors are in front of the camera all day. Yeah. And uh, there was another show that I was on that was a low-budget horror movie, and there was a really famous um, Showtime actress that was starting a big Showtime show at the time, and they wanted to get her gallery shots in for the poster, and she threw a huge fit. She was so upset, and she was like, I get you. she got her lawyer on the phone, and the lawyer's on the phone with the producer, and then the lawyer on the phone with her, and he's like, look, it's in your contract that you're willing to do this, and so um, she finally did, and she was just like, I just don't understand. Like, what are you going to use these photos for? Like, what could, what could you possibly use them for? And we're like, well, there's the poster, there's the DVD box, there's marketing, there's like all these things. You're the star of the movie, you know. Yeah. We kind of want to promote you. <laughs> uh, but I have this beautiful picture of her, like with with her middle finger up and her tongue sticking out. It's like one of my favorite photos because <laughs> she did not want to be photographed. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I guess uh, not going to film school, uh, it's been a great opportunity for you to, you know, be on all these different sets and sort mm-hmm. of learn how, um, you know, the choices people make and the decisions that um, affect a production set. Um, you kind of get a firsthand, you know, without much repercussion right. of what's, how to do things. Yeah, it was... It, you know, it was really disappointing not to get into film school because at the time, like, you go to college and you're like, I really want to do this, and then you have to apply, and the film school's like, well, you're not quite what we were looking for. And all so you of applied my, and got turned down. I got turned down. Oh, yeah. And all my friends got in. Like, yeah. everybody I knew got in but me. Uh-huh. But I think my problem was when I was kind of the weird genre kid. You yeah. know, it's like I liked making horror movies, and I liked doing action, and they were looking for artists in their film school, uh-huh. and I just definitely was not what they were looking for. They did not want commercial filmmakers in their school. And so, you know, it's, that's fine. I mean, yeah. it all worked out. Yeah. Um, and now a lot of those friends that I went to school with, they're all out here too. And we all still work together. That, uh, that's the yeah. huge thing is that you have this network, even though mm-hmm. they went off to film school, you retain that network of friends. I, I had a similar experience. Uh, I came out to LA as an actor, mm-hmm. um, after college and, um, got bit by the, uh, directing bug, basically because I wasn't booking anything as an actor and then to try and uh, move my career forward I'd produce something that I was in and I was like this is awesome and I was like maybe I should go to film school (laughs) (laughs) and then I realized how much film schools cost and um, just the reality that uh, there was no way I could ever afford to go and um, and so I always had this attitude of like fuck film school you don't need film school just go out and shoot it and then you know years later I started working with a group of film school students, and you really understand the value of film school, uh, in that you you build out this team of people that you work with throughout right. film school, and then hopefully within your career you continue on the pathway working with them, and that's a, a really cool thing. But mm-hmm. I also think there's a lot of merit to to not going to film school and just getting in and start making stuff and kind of learning as you go, and you know it's um, it is, and and I feel a lot of film schools are different. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of film schools. Yeah. And, and, and you kind of think back, like when Spielberg went to film school in the late 70s, right? There was like six film schools in the country. Yeah. Well, now, like I was living in Orlando for 15 years. There's four film schools in Orlando, just Orlando. And yeah. So now there's hundreds of film schools around the country, which is churning out thousands of filmmakers as opposed to back then when you would have, you know, 30 filmmakers a year coming out yeah. of film schools. and. And even in Orlando, the, the big schools they have are, are UCF Film School, uh, Valencia Film School, Full Sail, and the Dave School, which the Dave School focuses on visual effects mm-hmm. for visual effect filmmakers and 3D animators. Uh, Full Sail focuses mostly on grips and electrics and, and that kind of technical elements, DPs. Mm-hmm. UCF focuses mostly on theory, you know, writers and directors. Mm-hmm. And then Valencia does everything. Yeah. They kind of do a little mixture of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, even like with that, depending on where you want to go in the industry, you kind of want to cater to a film school that would focus on what you want, yeah. I think, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've worked with a lot of uh, full still mm-hmm. graduates, and uh, yeah, a lot of them have been part of the crew. Yeah. You know. That's a big a big focus there. Yeah. And uh, in full sale, I mean, they, they churn out so many because they have 26 degree programs and they graduate every month on a class average of 80 people wow so they're churning out thousands of people a year in the industry yeah Um, and uh the industry already is like there's so much there's so much more content now 
you know, than there was back then because you have... How do you as a filmmaker sort of navigate through, you know... It's a challenge. Staying unique and identifying something you're passionate about that will reach an audience. It's interesting because I feel like it's a blessing and a curse. You know, we have elements now like YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, if you went out tomorrow and made a movie, you could show this movie to, to millions of people with one click of a button, technically. Like, you know, you... 20 years ago, you couldn't do that. You couldn't just put a movie online and say, hey, watch my movie. Nobody had access to be able to do that as filmmakers. So nowadays, it's amazing that you can get access to that audience with tools like YouTube and things like that. Making money is a totally different story. You're right. But, but getting access to the world is so much easier now, so it inspires a lot more people to be able to make a lot more content. And as you can see from YouTube, you know, you're wading through thousands and thousands and thousands of videos um, and same with channels, like we were talking about earlier. You have your basic cable channels that now have 900-something channels on it with 24 hours of content, and all your new digital uprisers, your Amazons and your Netflix, and now you have Disney Plus coming out, and the DC Apple. Universe, and yeah, everybody has their, their yeah. own thing. Well, yeah, it's uh, the pipeline. I mean, yep. it used to be a small pipeline, now it's just an ocean. Exactly. Yeah. And so it is very challenging. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier and harder than ever right now right that's a good way <laughs> to explain it and it seems like you kind of have a, a good thing going where um you have a, a, a career happening as a filmmaker mm-hmm. and then doing still photography work is a way to just um be in a position where you can keep making money doing what you love but you're not like you know a, you know, a filmmaker that's like you know going from project to project and um, right. you know really um you know uh, living and dying are important to each project. It's right. kind of a good balance you have. And then you have the uh, Abysmal, which is a right. successful company also. Yep. Yeah, I own a multimedia company called Abysmal, and uh, that's been about, around for about 16 years now. And basically I have different clients that I cater to for that company as well, so we'll develop content for a lot a lot more corporate stuff and um, documentary work mm-hmm. and different things like that that will run through that company, uh, which is nice because then... Especially in Los Angeles, I feel like Los Angeles, everybody wants you to be one thing. Yeah. Like, you're allowed to be one thing. You're not allowed... Everyone does ten things, (laughs) but they want you to be one thing. They want you to be, you're just a writer, you're just a DP, you're just a director, and that's impossible. Like, not many people can survive on just one thing. Yeah. Like, maybe like a handful of people, really. And it's even, like, even sometimes further nuanced. It's like, you're a comedy writer. Yes. You know, you're a horror director. They want to pigeonhole you as much as possible... Which makes sense, you know, if, if you can survive that way, because then you're always going to be the guy they go to for that thing. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, another blessing and a curse. But luckily what I have is I have a company that can handle all of this stuff. So I run all of these things to the company, and then Stephen Shea focuses on writing, directing, and photography. Yeah. Uh, so is the company still uh, based in Florida? You guys still office down there? No, it's here now. It's here I mean, now. I'm, it's pretty much run, it's run through a... a for, through freelancers anyway. It's a project-by-project project basis kind of company. Oh, gotcha. So, so it's not, uh, not with, like, just Florida no, uh, clients. It's no. now... I mean, in fact, we you know we were really successful in Florida for a mm-hmm. while until our tax incentive program went away. And ah. we were doing back-to-back movies and TV, and, you know, we could get an incentive turned around in three days. Like, it was great. We yeah. had a really good thing going. And Florida's incentive program was independent-based, so it was only a minimum $100,000 expenditure to be able to get 30% back. And it was a great incentive program, but when that went away, the industry there 
crippled overnight. I mean, it was like night and day. And I think the last year I lived in Florida, I didn't do almost a single job in state. It was yeah. all out of state. Yeah. Traveling around for different clients and things. So that's now so that Georgia. that was your decision doing. now to, that was sort of your like. Reason to leave. Reason to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there was a lot of reasons, but we had always planned on being out here and uh, um, my son wasn't quite in school yet and my wife's a stay at home mom. And so it was kind of a perfect chance for us to relocate yeah and we'd already built a huge network out here over the years and then we had lots of friends from there move out here as well yeah it seemed like i remember talking to you before you moved out and uh you know i was amazed while like you know how not effortless but like uh how nice a transition you made into just Mm -hmm. like getting up and running you know it takes most people years to to do that but it seems like you already had the network and you already had jobs coming in and you were like just kind of dove right into the scene, which is, you know, I think really impressive because uh, it's taken me years to just sort of, like, figure it out. <laughs> no, sure. It's, it, yeah. it is still definitely an element of starting over. I mean, there's a lot of, of yeah. things to relearn out here. And what I did is I built up a network of national clients for my company. So then when I came out, I still had a year or two's worth of work, but not in L.A., which was good and bad because I had plenty of work to do, but then I wasn't building as much of a personality in the city. Mm-hmm. So during that transition, it was trying to find more local clients and trying to get involved with more local productions and things like gotcha. that. Gotcha. And is that where set photography really came into play? For it you? did. Uh, and set photography is, I, I love that as well. Like it's a lot of fun. It's a lot easier to get hired as a set photographer than it is to get hired as a director or a writer. Sure. Um, but it's a good way to get in with people and meet meet more people, and of course, yeah. networking is, yeah. is your number one key to everything, really. Yeah. So it's that's what uh, I say. I mean, mm-hmm. I really think Hollywood is really is centered on just networking. Absolutely, yeah. and it, it really is. It's all who knows you, and because at some point they're gonna need some you know some element of what you offer, and so they're gonna be like, hey, I, I know a guy. <laughs> yep, and I'm a firm believer of of working with friends. Yeah. Like they always say like don't you know don't work with your friends. Well, that's stupid. Like I love my friends and right. I trust my friends and at least I have talented friends. Better to friends. collaborate with than exactly. your friends. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a much better environment than yeah. Being, like, I, I've been, strangers. Yeah, I've always <laughs> believed in that too. I've always tried to retain the same crew and mm-hmm. do things over and over again. And and the more we do things, the more it becomes like you know friends coming together and making something awesome. Yep. Maybe Adam Sandler's on to something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, and you see that out here too because even with the big shows. Those big directors and big DPs, they have their crews too. And so it's harder for you to break into bigger crews, I feel like, sometimes. Yeah. Because they've got their friends and they're people they use every time. Right. And all of a sudden you're the outsider and it's like, hey, I wanna I wanna shoot for big movies, and it's kinda like, who are you, kid? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like the only chance you have uh, on a crew is if you come in as a day player and you just right. hit it off with the crew and the producers and everyone loves you and then you kinda make your way in, but you know, you really have to, you know, um, create an impression or stand out or do a really good job. Right. Something that, you know, above and beyond than just going in and do, keep your head down and do the job because then mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's harder to really build those relationships. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and with set photography, what I've discovered out here too is there's a lot of exclusivity. So like the sound stages or the, um, the big studio lots, well, they have exclusive photographers that are contracted for just those lots and you have ah. to be one of their photographers to be able to shoot what's going on yeah. on their lots a lot of the time. And I was like, okay, well, that's something different. Um, but I've done a lot of, like a lot of mid-range and low-budget movies. Mm-hmm. And, 
and you find you get in with certain producers and that producer starts hiring you back yeah. every project yeah. And, and yeah you become part of their crew and that's that's the easiest way to get involved for sure yeah i always feel really lucky when i you know meet someone let's let's use uh you as an example <laughs> as, you know, as someone who's talented who's awesome it's like thank god <laughs> now I don't have to ever find another cinematographer. Right. Yep. And then, of course, one day you're like, I'm sorry, I'm going to move to Warner Brothers. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like on every set, you always meet that person you always want to work with, and you always meet a person that you never want to work with again. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's like two buckets. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you always kind of get that. Uh, and there's been plenty of sets where I've worked with people that I don't want to work with again. Yeah. Uh, even as a crew member, like you'll work with a producer or a studio, uh, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't like how this works like I don't like their beliefs or this or that and then I stop working for those people and that's that's happened a couple times yeah um and especially with low budget studios you know that don't treat their crews right or right or they want things to happen quick without any money right yeah and so that that happens as well it does Um, yeah but at least out here there's like five million things going on (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) you're just gonna keep bouncing yeah yeah absolutely and I, I feel like um you sort of build relationships with studios or with production companies or other producers that um, that you connect with, and then before you know it, you have like of that five thousand, mm-hmm. you have a pretty good network yep. that keeps you going, and, and that um, is is really a great survival tactic in LA, right. especially as a filmmaker who's writing and who's uh, developing stuff and trying to get their own stuff off the ground. Yep. It's a way to kind of do a little bit of both, and I think you know. Um, that's one of the things that, that I love as a producer, um, like learning about, uh, or connecting with crew and say like, what else do you have going on? What do you want to do? Right. And it's always so inspiring how everybody has like a little something, you know, like a sure. hustle they have going on, like a big picture idea. And it's always fun to learn about that. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like everyone... I even I, I would even like the big league guys. It's like no one's ever really exactly where they want to be yeah, all the time. Right? Exactly. Um, so you see, like even some of those big directors you watch, and it's like, uh, like oh, I have to make in, I have to make the Dark Knight three in order to get money for Inception. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I'll do it, but <laughs> or like yeah, he's like, oh uh, yeah, this is a cool movie we're doing now, but here's this idea for Inception, like yeah. the, the craft table. You know, like yep. this is what I'd love to do. You know, yeah. Or, like, I hear stories like how Spielberg had to refinance DreamWorks to get the money to make Lincoln. And you're like, oh, my God, like, Spielberg's having a hard time getting <laughs> right. money? Like, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> we're all really, remortgage his house. Yeah. <laughs> we're all really on the same boat. Like, it kind of makes you realize. I think so. I mean, I think we're all just, you know, kids that are passionate about telling a story. And right. How do we get that story told? And if it has to go by making a movie that is, you know... Um, something you do for money I guess that like you have to either make a decision where it's like was it worth it or is it not worth it (laughs) is it going to kill me creatively or you know right well that's what I love about having photography is kind of like the day job is yeah you're still going to be just as creative and you're still making and telling stories just through one image which is uh, even more of a challenge in itself really and so when you get that good image and you see that poster art and like they have Cannes film festivals going on this week Mm -hmm. I don't think I have anything there this year, but last year there was a couple posters that I had shot that they put up, and they're selling movies based off of your work, and that's yeah. that's really exciting too. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you ever thought about doing that as a business also, just like making posters for films that you then take to AFM? I, I do some stuff. freelance, like I do uh-huh. freelance poster design stuff. Uh-huh. Um, 
I actually, I got a couple years ago, I got a poster that I shot. They had in Times Square, like on a big Times Square, you know, machine billboard thing. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so every now and then, like, that stuff pops up. Uh-huh. But, uh, I mean, I kind of do a little bit of a bunch of things. And so it's kind of whatever somebody needs, you know, at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely trying to focus now on, on the writing and directing. And I have a manager and we have, you know, pitch meetings, you write, package, pitch, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the, the consistency. And so yeah. we have... But that's a big deal because now you have a pipeline and a, right. a, you know, a pathway to getting stuff made. And you meet a lot of people on these sets, like doing photography or doing yeah. any crew position. You know, you make friends with the producers, you make friends with the actors, you make friends with the directors. And then that keeps building your network to where then you might work with a producer later and be like, well, hey, I've got this idea that you may be interested in and that yeah. could help build you up to the next level too. Absolutely. Um, and that has happened. I mean, that's happened a bunch. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> any specific stories that, uh, come to mind with like, uh, like some of the stuff that maybe led to something or any, or anything going on now that, uh, was, was, you know, started from, uh, yeah. doing, um, uh, self-photography. I mean, I did a, uh, I learned really quickly as a, when I was a producer for hire for a while in Florida, uh, how to treat your crew right. It's like, you know, the, the director's job should be the number one cheerleader. Yeah. It's like, you're supposed to be the quarterback, right? But it's like, you're not necessarily the quarterback. The producer's the quarterback and the director's the cheerleader. It's oh, like, see, I always looked at it as the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, it's kind of like the crew has to follow the director yeah. in the battle, right? Uh-huh. And, um... And so it's like the producer has the plan and the director has the execution. And ah. so you you get out there and you and you make everybody you make everyone happy on try to make everyone happy on set. And then like there was a show that I produced that was a Disney Channel show uh, a few years ago. That was the worst production I've ever been on. And I was the lead like a American producer. We had European EPs on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the money was international monies, and it was a it was a big sixty six day shoot on soundstage at Universal Studios in Florida because Disney doesn't have production facilities anymore. Uh-huh. And uh, it was actually the last big thing that I produced because I I I got rid of my producing bug after that. But it was a uh, it was crazy because we had EPs that every single day would cause some kind of problem, and they were they were Italian and they definitely had a, a cultural difference and a lot of them didn't speak English and we had translators, but it would be like one day they took all the water away from craft service. What? And you're like, well, what, what's happening? And they were like, well, the crew's drinking too much water. We think they're drinking too much water. So we're taking the water away. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like we're, we have 55 people on set. Like they, they drink a lot of water. Yeah. We're, we're all yeah. working. And, um, one day we had a, a crew member who was labeled cam ops slash steady cam cause he uh-huh. had a steady cam and they, we didn't use the steady cam as much. We were saving it for exterior shots mm-hmm. We had two weeks of exteriors and the producers came in one day and they were like, well, we don't, we don't think he's using the steady cam enough. Can we cut his rate in half? And we're like, what are you talking about? Like he's the cam op, but he just so happens to own a steady cam that he brought here for free and he's letting us use if we need it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with his rate, and they're like, "Well, we want to cut his rate in half," and it turned into a huge. It turned into a huge thing where, and they they didn't pay checks on the right time. They wanted to pay once a month uh-huh. on checks. What? Uh, once a month, and then they didn't pay on time, 
And so I had a big screaming match with them. And I was like, I don't believe you have this money. I think that you're, you told us all you have this money. You don't. So I made them take me to the bank and show me the bank account that they had. Was well, it even worse when you found out they had the money? Well, it was just inexcusable. Yeah. And so then I was like, all right, well, you have no reason why you can't pay these people. Pay them. It's like they're, and we were, it was 66 days. So it was four months of shooting. And it's like, oh my God. You kind of need that paycheck if you're living, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And we had 55 people on set every day. Aye. So that was a. Uh, and it's your job to keep, keep uh, and I'm the, the crew taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And my, I was mediating between the executive producers and the entire cast and crew. Yeah. And people would come to me in tears, being like, I, I, I have a house payment, or I have a rent, or I have this or that. Like, yeah. I need this check. Yeah. And uh, I think as a, a producer, that's the one thing you need to have worked out is right. uh, payroll for crew. Because if that's something that is smooth sailing that you don't have to work out, it's a huge asset to then not have to worry about that. Right, yeah. You would... You would yeah. think you wouldn't want to have that's to That's the one thing, yeah, yeah. Well, and you would also hope that you would start a production with all the money in the bank. Like, you would right. think, you know, and there was there was a production that I was attached to to direct a few years ago um, that was a pretty high profile, like a $5 million picture, and we had done all this casting, and the, the executive producer had opened offices in Louisiana and L.A., and we were going to shoot in Louisiana, and we had done all this really big casting through mm. agencies, and I was Skype auditioning actors on Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and all this stuff, which is awesome. And then we get to a, shoot, a week before shooting and found out that they didn't have any money. She literally had some money that was saved for development and didn't have the production funds a oh. week before we were supposed to leave. Man. And so they put it on hiatus for like a month or so till you know she could try till to find the funds. The money, yeah. And then they didn't. And we had already had all these act, these big actors under contract, and it got really messy. Oh. Um, and then it just the movie ended up going away because after a couple months, you realize like she didn't have the money, and so you can't make a you movie without the money. Yeah. Um, but you would plan to be in another place for months and right. you know, this whole schedule out, and so then it like you had turned down. I had turned down other work, mm-hmm. planning on being gone for a few months, and so yeah. it was like a whole big fiasco. Aye. Um, that stresses me out. Just I know it's it's <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. I think and that's everyone's biggest fear is getting right. hired on as something to. So rule number realize. one: have all your money before you make your movie. Like yes. <laughs> rule number two: have all your money. Have all your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, and it's kind of crazy to see stuff like that happen. Or there's been some sets I've been on where people have walked off because they feel or they go on strike. There was one movie I was on. Every department struck at some point during this production. Yeah. And they, uh, we had, like, the camera team one day. Like, everyone was nervous they didn't have enough money to finish the movie. Uh-huh. And so one day the camera team was like, they, they held the cards. They're like, we're not going until we get our checks. Like, and then the next day G&E did the same thing. And then makeup. And it was like, because they didn't trust the executive producers. They and did they money. pay, were they delayed on paying? Or they just, was it just uh, um, a lack of trust? Both. Yeah. I think it was both, and I think they were just very conniving, and it was really strange, these producers. And there were all these SAG actors, like these name actors on set, mm-hmm. but that had all flown in from L.A. and everything. And even the local SAG rep, the SAG actors are calling the rep, being like, hey, this is really sketchy, and they're doing stuff without permits, and they were, they told people they had permits, and then showed up, and they found out later they didn't have permits. Oh, and God. They didn't pay the rent on the production office, and so... <laughs> 
the production office people change the locks on them. Oh man. With all the paperwork and everything inside the office. So Oof. the producers broke in. Oh man. Here broke we go. into the office and took all their paperwork back. Like literally broke in and took it all back. And uh like just crazy stuff like that. Like I don't that shouldn't happen. So. Well, I just think, you know, when you uh are in the business and you have this idea that when you're making a film, I'm gonna try and cut as many corners as possible. It, right. It's never gonna end up well. You right. know. You can't you, you just you can't cut corners. I think that's like the hard lesson to realize. Like right. you have to pay people that are in, you have to pay the cost of a production office. Yep. You have to, you know, and it's uh, it's a tough industry. I mean, it's a very very tough industry to be successful in, and I think some of these people want so desperately to do that that they'll be like, yeah yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah yeah, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And then all of a sudden they can't, and they get backed into a corner and they're yeah. just, they're stuck. Um, and I've seen people like that on set where we'll have a department. And they're like, they agree to a certain amount of budget without really thinking it through. And then all of a sudden they realize like, oh God, I need a few thousand more dollars than I anticipated. Uh, what do I do? And you're like, well, you shouldn't have agreed to do this <laughs> for, that, <laughs> right. for that money. You know? Right. Um, I think that's hard too is uh, when people do agree to do something at a lower rate and then they feel they, guilty about it. And right. I, I, um, I try to, um, to, to, like, if it is a small budget, make extra clear now like hey oh, yeah. you know it's a really small budget are you sure this is cool with you you know right. uh, because there's not a worse thing when somebody is unhappy they don't feel like they're getting paid enough and right. it's almost like this cancer that hits the set and everyone then feels that way yep. instantaneously and you know that's a, that's a huge aspect it's like even if you do have some money it's like you gotta create the framework where People can feel like they can collaborate and they feel good about what they're getting paid, um, regardless of how much money you have. So if it's uh, not a lot of money, then maybe you want to try and do it in two days instead of like spreading out over two right. weeks. And that way, you know, you can creatively recraft it so that it works with what you have. Yep. Instead of trying to do more than what you have and make the crew, you know, pay the cost for that. Right. And I, I think it's a lot of projects, and we've run into a lot of projects like this too, they write a script not based on their budget. Yes. It'll be like, we have a $20 million script and we have $200,000. And it's like, well, that ain't going to work. You know? <laughs> How do you do that? It's like, we, need to, we have five car explosions. It's like, all right, well, you can afford half of one of those. Right, you can, uh, <laughs> Let's do some CG explosions. Have a you can explode. Yeah, yeah 20 exactly. bucks. Yeah. We did blow up a car once. That was a lot of fun. That is cool. I've done that before yeah. also. The, those yeah. are exciting, like blowing up cars. What kind of car did you blow up? Oh, it was a cop car. I think it was a cop car that they had, like, it was a, like a Corolla or something. They painted uh, the a cop car. Yeah, oh, gotcha. It was actually funny. That was on a, a movie a long time ago called Andre the Butcher. It's a horror movie. And they, we had a car explosion. So they went and set up all the cameras. There's like four or five cameras running. And the DP, like, didn't, I don't know whether he didn't understand what the stunt guys were talking about, but he went and zoomed all the cameras in on just the car. And then we had to stand back like a hundred yards from this explosion and they blew up the car, and it was a giant mushroom cloud, like huge 45-foot fireball <laughs> that blew up into the air. And so the irony was the shot we used in the movie was the behind-the-scenes camera, which was wide. And so that was the only camera that caught the fireball because the, the rest of the camera... The fireball, yeah, yeah. They were all zoomed in on the car, 
thinking the car was just going to blow up. It was like, no, this huge fireball came up, and it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's always like a one-time thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. you could. You weren't going to get a second car to blow up. That yeah. would have been, been a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah, car explosions uh, are, you know, sometimes like the highlight of a movie. It's like, you know, right. you kind of wait for a few days, like, I days from now, I'm going to have a car explosion. And well, stunts are always, like, they're, they're exciting and they're terrifying at the same time. It's, we've we've yeah. done a few body burns. That's I mean, really, uh, that's a lot, yeah. Like, you're very, you have to have very safe sets. There was a set I was on once at a car crusher. Like, they were crushing cars, and we shot it on a, a junkyard for, like, five nights. Yeah. And so it's just, like, you get kind of scared. There's a there's a buddy of mine who's a producer on Naked and Afraid. Uh-huh. Man, he's got some crazy stories. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Being like, yeah, hey, got these people <laughs> yeah, buck yeah, naked yeah, in the woods yeah, for yeah. a month or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder, like, what it's like sitting in a room with executives who are like, I'm going to be on an island. Everyone's gonna be naked. We need a story. Yeah. What do you have? You know, like, okay. It's yeah. That's no thanks. I'm not, <laughs> that's why I'm behind the camera. I don't want to. And go. <laughs> so and yeah, you kind of wonder about some of those pitch meetings where it's right. like, I got this idea. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I. You know, it's funny because I'm sure for you, uh, not knowing um, from the still photographer, you know, point of view of like what you're walking into that day with. The right. tone of the crew is, yep. the tone of the film, uh, the location, you know, yep. really what you're up against, or what the what, what the, the film crew is up against. Yeah, and you hear a lot of horror stories about yeah. other people, you know, coming to set, and especially with photographers, because photography is a, it you should be a ghost. Like, yeah. in my opinion, like, you're a ghost on set. Nobody should know you're there, you shouldn't leave any trace, you shouldn't bother anybody, you shouldn't be in the way, yeah. but you still need to get shots of every single setup in scene that's usable for promotion of the film mm-hmm. like most studios want 95 percent in scene shots and maybe four to five percent behind the scenes like they don't care about seeing the crew they don't care about any of that stuff they yeah. want to see what's going on that they can use it makes sense mm-hmm. yeah and so there's been other photographers i've heard horror stories where they'll go and they'll be like well, oh, no get out of my way or push people around or try to like boss the actors around or try to get in front of the camera and it's it's kind of crazy it's like well you really don't need like if you're a good photographer you don't need to do that i mean they they spend hours lighting a scene you know and then you have plenty of time to get shots and to, you know you jump in there for 60 seconds and you, that's all you need you know, you right you get 30 shots you don't need to, to do that and there was one photographer i was talking to one day and he was shooting like 12 shots a day and i was like well i shoot around 2,000 frames a day Hoping for twelve. Oh my! He God. shot like twelve, and he's like, "I got this picture." And he shows me a photo, and it's of like something stupid. And I'm like, "Well, what's that? You can't put that on a poster. Like, yeah. you need that. You need shots of them acting in scene and this and that of the actors." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, a normal distributor requests at least a hundred frames per actor mm-hmm. in your, as part of your deliverable package. A lot oh, of times, yeah. and so so I'll, I want I have. A, a duty to make sure that they get enough usable shots. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, I'll, my goal is to get 150 to 250 usable frames a mm-hmm. day. Yeah. That that look like like a magazine quality. Show. Yeah, and I guess it's really good to like if you can like that night upload them to you know mm-hmm. whatever like service and so that the executives can look at it and say hey these aren't gonna work you can go back the next yep. day and get that so that. By the time you're done, they're not like, what the fuck is this? Right, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. They know they have something at the end of the shoot. And I'll usually bring a laptop, and I'll usually set up and, and, and dump things on set to make sure, yeah. you know, that I, what I've got. And, um, I mean, I've gotten a lot more confident now after doing it so long. 
that, that I'm getting what they need. But I also yeah. see other photographers that have no idea what's going on, you know, and it's kind of like there's one around like, click, here's one <laughs> shot of the camera, and I'm like, all right, well, I can't use that for anything. Yeah. Well, you know, that's another thing, too, is like people, uh, you know, a sort of... Uh, um, when they're budgeting for a movie, still photographers an easy thing to just zero out because you're right. like, oh, you can have our interns or PAs go and take pictures, but yep. doesn't re- there's so much value in a still photographer yep. as opposed to just having like your PA go in or an or assistant. They'll go in screen and grab now with four K, like four K yeah. screen grabs, and a lot like a lot of times you'll see in a lot of movies now they'll just release like you can tell it's the frame. It'll be like a. Uh-huh. Like a like a widescreen picture, and you're like, what is yeah. this? Like that's not a real picture. Like that's, yeah. a, that's a screen grab. And um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of times those are blurry, and it's harder to get get a good good quality ones. So yeah. with photography, it's a lot easier to get a higher. And it's much bigger. Like the frame is much larger than a four K frame when you're shooting with like a twenty one megapixel camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it uh, yeah, it makes a big difference. And uh, and it's cool when you get on really big sets because you're really a bigger character. Uh, a bigger crew member because they realized the importance of getting those photos. So like, there were some union sets, like I shot on an MTV show once and the AD was like, Hey, listen, like if you don't get what you need, you let me know and I'll schedule time for you to come in here and get whatever you want. Yeah. Cause you're, you're only here, you know, one day every two weeks and you know, the pressure's on them to make sure that the photographer gets everything they need. Yeah. Um, so there are some sets, Oh my gosh, I got booked on a, on a show one time and the entire day was set up in a sauna a one-person sauna that they could barely fit the camera in, and they just set the camera in there and shot the scene for an entire day, and I was like, what am I even doing? Like, I can't shoot any pictures in here. Like, right. <laughs> one dude in a sauna. Like, what is this? And um, the closets, every time I called all these sets, and they were like, we're shooting in a closet today. And I'm just like, well, great. Like, I'm yeah. <laughs> we're shooting in a bathroom. I'm like, all right, well, this is a terrible uh, place to shoot pictures in. But Yeah. Um, and sometimes... They consider that, but sometimes on the bigger shows, they'll just be like, come every Thursday. Yeah. Like, they don't really pay attention to what is going on. What the value is on that day that they're right. bringing you in. Yeah. Um, what are some of the, uh, if you don't only ask, some of the bigger movies or shows that you've uh, worked on? Um, I'm trying to photography-wise. Uh, I did, I did, it was cool, I did a show on MTV called The Inbetweeners. They redid The oh, Inbetweeners. Yeah. I shot on that a few years ago, mm-hmm. but it was really cool because the two directors that I got to work with were, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher both their names, I think, uh, tight, uh, Watiki, who just did Thor Ragnarok and uh-huh. what we do in, you know, what we do in the shadows. And oh, what a cool movie. Like he, and he was awesome. Like to work with like a big director like that. Super yeah. cool. And then, um, I also work with, uh, Todd Strauss. Who, oh, nice. Yeah. Like he did uh, the third Harold and Kumar movie mm-hmm. and he just did the final girls and mm-hmm. he's done a bunch of big comedies. And so the, I got to work with both those directors on that. And so that was cool to watch, watch that. That must be kind of cool seeing a comedy director and there you go get yeah. pigeonholing, but you know, someone, you know, their strengths within one genre and yes. you know, the approach they take within each uh, genre. Yeah. That was a cool, that was a really cool experience. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of low-budget movies. I've done a lot of like Lifetime movies, especially out uh-huh. here. Um, I feel like every time I turn around, there's like 20 Lifetime movies there. Coming yeah. Out. Well, they're movie of the weeks. And so you kind of oh, forget there there's go. like 52 of them a year. <laughs> <laughs> so they're always shooting something because they're that, that movie of the week. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and then at Christmas, they do, one, they do one every day, right? So there's like right. 30 days yeah. of Christmas movies. 
Oh my god. So there's a lot of movies they make for those things. Hallmark yeah. Channel and Lifetime and um I mean I did some asylum movies. I was on Sharknado three, that was kinda of fun. Oh that's pretty awesome. Uh and they I shot all the Universal Studios days, so they would they had like sharks on the roller coasters and like <laughs> taking over all the rides. Oh that's really um, cool. But it was funny, the very first set I was ever on, uh I was sixteen or seventeen, was True Lies. Oh wow. Uh, that was, was shooting in, in the Keys. Yeah, yeah, they were shooting right by our house in the Keys. And so I was there the day they landed the Harrier jets on the Seven Mile Bridge. Schnikes. And I was like... That is so cool. Yeah, that, that's the first experience I ever had with filmmaking. And I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. Like, this is this will be awesome. Not realizing not every movie was True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> this seems cool. True Lies to Sharknado 3 is yeah. a little, little bit of a difference. But, um... I think of other stuff. I mean, I've shot a ton of stuff. I don't remember. But that must be a, a fun experience, like working for the asylum and not working, for, like not being part of the crew, but watching like a, an asylum movie come yes. together. Yeah, I mean, be... behind the scenes, and I got to shoot with a ton of celebrities because they had all the celebrity cameos. Like they had Jerry Springer one day. Oh, nice. He was cool to talk to, and uh-huh. they had Chad Ochocinco, who was really uh, funny. Like, yeah, this is the Chef Daniel Three. The third one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like I, I mean, I think I've worked on like three or four movies with Tara Reid at this point. You know, <laughs> I've shot with her a lot. Um, yeah, she's she does a lot of work with the Asylum now. Yeah, so, yeah. She has a lot of different stuff. Um, I did a cool movie. Uh, well, the movie wasn't necessarily that cool, but I did a movie called uh, Walt Before Mickey, which was the Walt Disney biopic uh, that had with John Heater and Thomas Ian Nicholas, and that was a lot of fun. That was one where the producers were a total nightmare. But um, yeah. the cast was a lot of fun. Like, shooting with those guys was fun. And, um, there's some actors that are really cool that you get to work with, like, bigger actors that are that are nice. And then there's some that are not. Like, yeah. they don't want to be... Yeah. They want their picture taken. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, there's... Uh, it's, that's what... I, you know, that's what I love about, um, you know, being in this business is uh, you never know who you're going to connect with or see or right. what people are willing to like, you know, yep. and work with them. And uh, it gets real on film sets. I mean, you know, those, oh, yeah. they're tough days, 12-hour, 15-hour days. And um, after weeks of that, it's like, you know, true colors really come out. And it's like either you really band together and get through it or it gets really bad. And I think, right. I think that's when the value of working with friends really comes in after, you know, the film. Oh, yeah. You know, you're past the, like, the 10-day mark. Right. You know, you're deep in the waters now. Well, and you want you want people that'll watch your back. Yeah. You know, you want that that connection. And there's plenty of sets you go on, especially as a day player, where like mm-hmm. you don't know anybody and they yeah. don't know who you are, yeah. and you're just kind of you're not necessarily annoying, but it's like, oh, here comes the photographer. He's gonna <laughs> get in our way, yeah. and he's gonna blah blah blah. And yeah. you're like, no, it's I'm not gonna get in your way. But there are other ones that do for sure. Yeah. And like I have, I still I shoot old school. I have a blimp. A silent oh, yeah, yeah. So my camera is like four times the size of a regular camera because it has right. this giant case. It's bigger than the it. actual film camera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got this big case that keeps it quiet so I can shoot while they're rolling. But now the newer cameras don't have shutters, so they're all completely silent. Ah. But I haven't switched over to the shutterless, the mirrorless camera yet. See, when you bring that big thing in when we were doing uh, you know, the Netflix stuff, I was like, this is legit. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? it is. And like, it why, is, yeah. This is like, now it's that. a real movie. Yeah. It's funny too, like it nowadays. It has that just like value to it. It does, and it makes face value. People that most people don't know, like the younger crews, have no idea what that is. So every single set I'm on, somebody walks up and is like, "What is it? <laughs> what is it?" No, 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 no. It's, yeah. They're like, "What is it?" Back this? in the '60s, yeah. Well, like younger crews that haven't shot in like 
four or five years. Like right, this, exactly. Yeah, like, this is, I've never seen Fletch. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's like they'll come like, "What is that? What's going? What kind of camera is that?" And I'm like, "It's a Canon. A Canon? Like what kind of Canon? Like, no, it's inside. It's a case. Oh, is that a waterproof housing? Like no, it's not a waterproof. Housing. We're not shooting underwater. Like I don't have waterproof." <laughs> That's the questions really you get are funny. Like, are you trying to keep your camera from getting dirty? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> no. So I don't like when people touch it. This thing weighs like 30 pounds, man. Like, I don't want to carry this thing around. <laughs> Unless you have to. But yeah. it's a... Uh, but they're, like, they're so awesome. I mean, right. you can really get in there. Yeah, yeah, you can get right up next to the main focus camera. focus and do mm-hmm. a lot with it, yeah. Yeah, I shoot mostly with a 200mm lens to be able to uh-huh. get in past everything and get, like, nice close-ups. Yeah, but I have a change-out of lens. And, yep. Yeah. I have a 70 to 200 that I shoot with, like, 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, and then it's also tough doing photography on set because, you know, cameras shoot their shutters are 24 frames a second. Right. When you bring a, a still camera shutter down to 24, it's blurry. Because you're usually shooting at like 200. Your shutter's usually set at like 200, not I 24. See. Yeah. So it also gets really challenging to get a crisp image, knowing that they're lighting for a 24 shutter. and that But your shutter still is usually o- at least a hu- like over 100 because uh-huh. you want a crisp image. Um, so that gets a little challenging sometimes, especially with low light, because the newer cameras handle low light so much better. Yeah. They light less. Yeah. And that gets kind of frustrating. I guess that comes with experience. Yeah. Yeah, you learn yeah. that pretty... Because you don't want to deliver a photo that's like, I shot this at 6400 ISO, and it's like all grainy, <laughs> and you can't tell what's How going. could I have known? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, or it's if you're with auto, like turning on auto settings, I'm like, oh, good luck with that. That's you know? <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> like, I've ever used auto, ever. But you do use autofocus in the blimp because you can't adjust your focus, but you can adjust your aperture right, your, and your zoom uh-huh. um, through it. So Yeah. It makes sense. You can't really pull. It's tough to pull focus. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they're moving. Like, they're moving all the time. So it's, oh, like, yeah. it's kind of hard to... Especially with action, like with shooting action. It'll be funny, actually, some sets I'll get called and they're like, we're doing a big stunt today. We want pictures. And I'm like, well, you realize pictures of a stunt doesn't... It doesn't really work because the stunt's in motion... I remember there was this one set I worked on a few years ago, and they called me in for this one day that was their big stunt day. And the stunt was that a man in a wheelchair tumbles down a hill. And I'm like, first off, this isn't very, like, that's a weird shot. Like, what do you need a shot of a guy in a wheelchair <laughs> falling down? Like, that's a, why would you need that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we probably want to shoot this awesome stunt. And it's like, okay. And I go and shoot it, and of course, every picture looks ridiculous, because this guy, like... It's like the lower oh, part of his down. back. He's yeah. like, yeah, like yeah. His, his face is like crunched and he like, <laughs> looks like an idiot. So I'm like, you're never going to use any of these photos. Yeah. And I'm like, that's for behind the scenes video. You want a video on that. Right. Not a still. And they were like, yeah. oh yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Here's the deal though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't, uh, but not everybody thinks that way, I guess. Yeah. And, um, I guess we all kind of learn as we go. And, right. Yeah. But it is fun. Like, it is fun doing still photography. You get to make your own stories and everybody else does all the work. Exactly. It's nice. Yeah. It's a nice, easy, fun, fun gig. And you, you know, once they call rap, you just take the camera, and go home. It's not like yep. you're you loading equipment up and no. Yeah. And most of the time, you come the, at a shooting call or. You know. Well, yeah, especially on union sets, it's under eight hours. Yeah. Because like, you don't need to shoot them. You need to shoot the set. So it's like if they're not if they're setting up for two hours, well, you don't need to be there while they set up. Like, right. That does drive you crazy sometimes because on on lower budget or independent projects. They'll be like, well, come at crew call. They'll call, me, they'll call you crew. Yeah, right? and I'll be sitting there for two and a half hours not doing anything, like yeah. waiting for the actors to... Sh- you know, Although it's likely you'll just go on OT. Yeah. Yeah. Which they happens. never pay out anyway. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, budget, no, 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 budget. Yeah. Are you guys cool going over into 26 hours? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, yeah. 
And so tell me, uh, while well, I have you, real, before we wrap up the yeah. show, just like what you're working on now mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah. anything that you want to like sure. plug that's coming out or anything. Yeah, right now um, I'm just finishing a post on a documentary that I shot last summer uh, about the, the Supercon convention, which is the, like one of the biggest mom-and-pop run Comic-Cons in the country out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We did this whole behind-the-scenes documentary on it. That's crazy. Like, it's it's only told from behind the scenes. So you get to see all the madness that goes on for this, like, ragtag team of people and a husband and wife trying to put on this, this show. How many with, people usually go to it? It's a 60,000-person event. Oh, not that big. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's a little, a little yeah. backyard get-together. Um, and they, But they do it my with the, their entire crew is is like 16 people. Oh my God. So it's crazy. Like that it's is crazy, crazy. to see it all and like stuff, all this crazy shit goes down. I mean, that, weekend. that's a fascinating uh, documentary just in yeah. terms of like figuring out the operation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And see how it all kind of comes together. And I mean, people really almost cool. die. And <laughs> people get arrested. Ambulances show up. Like you look like all this crazy stuff yeah. that you don't really Lots think about. Lots of good about. drama. Right. Yeah. 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 Because you're just there to get William Shatner to sign your Star Trek toy or something, and then you don't realize all this other craziness goes on to make that moment happen for that. To make person. that exact moment happen. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really cool. It's a really cool movie. We're getting ready to picture lock right now, and then we'll we'll have another couple months of sound and music and mm-hmm. coloring and stuff. But that's been the big project. Um, we have a, a, a short film. We have two short films that I was a producer on last year. They're on the film festival circuit right now. One of them is called Starian which is a sci-fi short, and one of them is a, is a horror short that stars Dee Wallace and Gabrielle Stone called Elixir. And that uh, those are both at festivals right now. Uh, are they coming out later this year online? Or? Um, we'll see. We'll see where they end up. Um, we've had a couple people that have interest in them, so we'll see you know, where, they, where they go. But I think we'll, be a, we'll probably be on the festival circuit until the end of the year on those. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start submitting the documentary to festivals in the fall. Yeah. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of just kind of packaging and pitching. And so we have we have three different scripts at three different studios right now that we're waiting to hear back on. So Ah, the old waiting game. The old, yeah, it's like, hey, hurry up and wait. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless you're on Netflix and they're like, you're greenlit. Yeah, <laughs> like, what's your name? Sure, here you go. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got um, it. It's like Brewster's Millions. <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, right? We've got to make content. I mean, it's like everybody. You know, everyone's trying to get something going at all times. Yeah, yeah. Even, even the big big league guys like they're all that's what I love about LA is everyone's got something going on that they want to do and you never feel complacent or you know it's always uh, a feeling of excitement yeah Yeah. every new corner is a new opportunity so it's it's exciting yeah well really cool well thank you so much for taking time out of your day absolutely and thank you all for listening to this Uh, Tales from the Crew this is our our second episode and <laughs> We're excited to have some more and mm-hmm. uh, excited to, you know, see what else is out there for you. And hopefully you yeah. and I can work together. Absolutely. Or something. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Very yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, thank you guys and thank you, Stephen. Yep. And we'll uh, we'll touch you soon. Yep. Sayonara. Bye. <laughs>